Hello team and welcome to episode 411 of the Simply Fit podcast. In today's episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Karen Curtin. Karen is a naturopathic physician, acupuncturist and passionate neural retraining expert. Through her own journey with complex chronic illnesses such as anxiety, depression and PTSD and also treating hundreds of patients with complex chronic illnesses, Karen realized the profound impact that stress physiology has on all aspects of our health. By doing the work to rewire her brain and rebalance her nervous system, Karen is now free of these mental and physical health challenges and helps others to do the same. In this episode, you can expect to learn what rewiring your brain actually means, what type of benefits you can get from this versus medication or therapy, along with how to apply this approach to areas that you want to improve in and not just part traumatic events. So without further ado, Dr. Karen Curtin. Dr. Karen Curtin, welcome to the show. How are you today? I'm doing very well. How are you? Thank you so much for having me. The pleasure is truly mine. I am very well. Thank you for asking as well. And before we dive into today's topic, which I think is going to be a very, very interesting one, I want to give the listeners a bit of context about who you are. So can you tell us who you are and what it is that you do? Yeah. So my background is that I'm licensed as a naturopathic physician and acupuncturist, and I got there through my own health journey. But after practicing with those tools exclusively for about five years, treating people with complex chronic illness, I discovered that a lot of people had nervous system dysregulation that was keeping them stuck in a cycle of illness. And so that is when I branched out and started learning about rewiring the brain for better regulation of stress physiology, right? So people were not spending all their time in fight, flight, or freeze, which unfortunately is what keeps people stuck in a loop of illness. So yeah, that led me down this path of getting trained in neural retraining and starting to do it with people. So now that's what I do full time. I do one-on-one work with people to help rewire their brain around specific issues they're really struggling with, like big traumas or, you know, this really big perfectionist tendency or something like that. And then I also have a group Uh, neural retraining program called Wired for Wellness. And in that one, people are doing a lot of their own rewiring work in their brains around many different things. But primarily, the program is designed for people who are struggling with anxiety, depression, trauma, chronic illness, and chronic pain, because all of those things relate to nervous system dysregulation. So when people get regulated, they get a lot of healing from all those things. Yeah, I can imagine. And it's a super interesting story of how you got to where you got to. And I want to dig back a little bit further. Mm -hmm. What did it look like when you were going through your specific challenges? What steps did you take to try and recover? Because of what usually tends to be the case is when someone's come through a journey of healing is that they had to go through a lot of trial and error first. I want to hear about the things that worked for you, things that didn't work so well for you. So can you dive into that for us? Yeah, so... As I was mentioning, I had my own health journey that started when I was around 19 years old, and I got super sick very suddenly, all kinds of symptoms all over my body, and had no idea what was going on. And I, you know, went to see conventional uh, medicine doctors first, because that was all I was familiar with at that time. And, you know, they ran standard lab panels, and they were like, well, we can't find anything wrong with you, so, you know, just come back when you have real problems. (laughs) 
<laughs> and they were like, go see a psychiatrist. You know, <laughs> maybe it's all in your head. After that, I did go see a psychologist actually, because I was like, I don't know, maybe it is all in my head. But those tool sets also were not helpful to me and didn't actually make any difference. So then I found a naturopathic physician, an acupuncturist, who happened to be in my small town in Georgia in the U.S., which is a place where there's not usually a lot of alternative medicine at all. Okay. So that was very lucky. And she started me on the path of healing. She was like, nope, I have at least some of the answers about what's going on here. Let's start with these things. And what she did for me got me enough better that I was able to go on to medical school and learn those things myself. But yeah, over the years, I was sick for over 17 years. Wow. And over that period of time, I tried so many things. You know, obviously, I did a lot of naturopathic medicine and acupuncture because those were my tool sets, but also all kinds of things on a mental and emotional level, too, because I really struggled throughout that whole health journey with anxiety and depression and at a certain point in that journey with PTSD. And so I was also looking for mental and emotional healing tools during that time and tried a ton of things in that realm like EMDR and shamanic work and talk therapy and CBT, you know, all these more common routes that people take. And unfortunately, they also didn't do much for me. They just didn't really change anything in a consistent way. So yeah, when I found neural retraining, everything started to shift and very quickly, all these old patterns that I was running of being a super overachiever and like overly empathetic to the point where I would come home from work crying about really hard cases where people were suffering a lot and perfectionism and all kinds of other things. And once I started rewiring all of my own stress programming and my own traumas, then the anxiety just stopped, gradually just went away. And the depression too. And the trauma actually, the resolution of the trauma was very fast. So that didn't take really much time at all. But as those things started to happen, then my physical health started to improve dramatically as well. And the tools that I had been using to address some of the other things I was going through, like mold illness and mitochondrial dysfunction and things like that, those tools actually started to work for me and they weren't really working before. And I think it's really because my nervous system being dysregulated had hamstringed, you know, my physiology. So it just couldn't work optimally. It could not be in balance because I was so dysregulated. So that is why I became such a big believer in this work. Gotcha. So you're basically saying even like the naturopathic and everything else that you were trying before just seems to be way, way more effective once you started to do the work on rewiring. Yes, exactly. Gotcha. My question was going to be like, what was the gap? Because you mentioned it got you enough better. And I think that that might be a challenge that people slip into. They're like, I'm enough better. I'm no longer in pain. So that's a positive. I am no longer suffering. So that's positive. I can walk without, you know, <laughs> needing to stop every five minutes or whatever that might be. And usually people stop yeah. at that point. Why did you feel that, okay, I need to continue this path because of feeling good is just not enough here? Well, it's a good question. Over the years that I was sick, in the beginning, I had some anxiety that came up right when the symptoms started. And I think that that was situational. I think it made sense with what I was going through, you know? Sure. Um, because I was so sick, I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to like live a normal life and go to grad school and, you know, have a normal job. 
But over that period of time when I was sick, like the anxiety and depression and trauma just accumulated, just got kind of worse and worse. And that's a very common story for people who are dealing with chronic illness or people who get started on a path of anxiety or stress and then they walk down that path so far, they can't really get their brain to revert very easily back to the way it was. And that was the case for me. Like while I was in medical school, I was on high alert constantly. Like that's when my insomnia started and I just could not relax. There was one thing after another after another and I couldn't stop working. Basically, that was just, it was like drinking from a fire hose being in medical school. So, you know, that took me six years. You know, I was in medical school for six years. So by the time I finished that, my brain had gotten into this habit of being so on high alert and so unable to relax that even when I had nothing to do, I couldn't relax. I just was like, I had this feeling inside me like, I can't sit down. I've got to always be doing something. And that, of course, led to other issues. It made me moody and it made me anxious and irritable and all these things. So when I discovered neural retraining, I was like, yeah, I really need to do this work. I can tell that I'm kind of stuck in this pattern. And I don't know how much this is impacting my physical health, but I know that it could be. So let me just see. I'm just going to try this and see what happens. And it was much more profound than I expected it to be. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. And that being said, when it comes to the kind of the transformational stuff that you went through as well, I want to get to the point of identifying what that looks like in the first place. When someone hears nervous system dysregulation, they might not even know where to start with that. They might be like, I have anxiety, I have a bit of depression, I have these physical symptoms that seem to be manifesting, maybe as a byproduct or maybe there's something completely separate, but I just don't know. Yeah. How can you even diagnose yourself or how can someone else diagnose you as someone with nervous system dysregulation? Because we always we also hear this thing about What's the word I'm looking for? It's uh, ah, adrenal fatigue. That's another one that mm -hmm. falls into that same bracket as well. And everyone thinks, ah, well, I might have adrenal fatigue, but there's not really any way in which we can, we can kind of self-diagnose, but it's not usually the best thing to do. So how do we go down the route of discovering whether it's uh, nervous system dysregulation or adrenal fatigue or anything along those lines? Right. So I think one of the best starting places really is to look at someone's average mood or emotional state because... The emotional states are completely intertwined with our nervous system states. Let's explain the physiology a little bit. You've got this part of your brain called the limbic system, and it's always making determinations in any moment, like what, what is a threat and what is not a threat. And it's doing that based on your past experiences. So it's getting all this data from your senses about what's going on all around you. And if it recognizes anything in that data that resembles a threat you encountered in your past, then it will set off a survival response. And unfortunately, that can also happen to things that are going on inside of us. It can happen to internal dialogues and things like that. We can set our own nervous system off into fight, flight, or freeze. But once the, the limbic system determines if you're safe or not, it then sends that signal to every organ system via the autonomic nervous system, which we like to call the automatic nervous system because it controls all these functions in the body that you aren't ordinarily thinking about, right? They're just happening in the background. Yep. And that's that nervous system's job. So when the limbic system communicates fight or flight to the whole body through the autonomic nervous system, 
then you know you have these other manifestations occur like your heart rate goes up and your blood pressure goes up and your breathing gets more shallow and things like that but your emotional state also changes so if you're in fight you will be something along the lines of angry or um, irritable or resentful or something like that if you're in flight you're going to be something along the lines of anxious worried fearful something in those in that neighborhood and so if people really look at what's going on with their emotional state it's a really really good way to track how often you are in fight flight or freeze and we were really designed to be in safe and social over 90 percent of the time Safe and social is a different nickname for the state rest, digest, and heal. Some people might have heard of it in that way. But that's the calm healing state that we want to be in the majority of the time and that we evolve to be in the majority of the time. But most people today are probably spending at least 50% of the time in a dysregulated state, in fight, flight, or freeze. I think we're understating it a little bit. <laughs> I think so too. I do. I, I just want it to be a little conservative. But in my population of people I work with, it's like 95% or more. But, you know, in the general public, I don't know exactly what the figure would be. But I do know that everybody's super stressed out. And that is another good indicator. <laughs> but then so, you know, you can look at for some of those physical manifestations of fight or flight that I mentioned. People also tend to get hotter when they're in fight or flight, right? Those colloquial phrases we have, like hot around the collar. So you can look for some of those kinds of things going on, heart rate going up, blood pressure going up, shallow breathing, tight muscles. That's a big hallmark is when somebody's in fight or flight, the muscles all get really tight. And then for freeze, what people can look for is feeling depressed, apathetic, unmotivated, sad, guilt and shame and some other painful emotional states like that, helplessness, hopelessness, those are all associated with freeze also. And then physically, when people are spending a lot of time in freeze, they tend to be fatigued. Okay, yeah. That's the number one symptom. Brain fog is number two. So if somebody's like, yeah, I have a lot of those things like 70% of the time, then they're a great candidate for doing this work. 70% or more of the time, <laughs> even 100% of the time, yeah, they should be doing something like this. If somebody's like, yeah, that happens to me once in a blue moon, yeah, that's that's not what we're looking for for people that need this work. We're looking for people that are struggling with these kinds of things on a regular basis. Absolutely. I have two questions off the back of that. The first is, how does that manifest into physical symptoms? I can understand what it does in terms of, you know, shallow breathing, increased heart rate, increased blood pressure and all those type of things. But I'd love to get your take on what happens when that's chronic and happens over the course of one year, five years, or even a decade. And the second thing I want to go through is typically the recommendation for anyone who's in this type of position was a little bit like your recommendation from the doctor as well was the sense of, well, maybe if we go one step further, there might be go to a psychologist, go to a therapist, try CBT or something along those lines. But typically we do see recommendations to you know, meditation, for example, mindfulness practices, and all of these things do help a lot of people. So why is it not the solution to go down those routes? Do you find them to be effective? Do you find there to be a better way? If you could go through both of those questions, if you remember that for my first, that would be amazing. Yes. Okay. Yes. So your first one was about how does nervous system dysregulation translate into all these physical symptoms? Exactly. It's via that autonomic nervous system, which connects to every single organ system. So 
being in fight, flight, or freeze a lot of the time, many organ systems, their function either gets dramatically slowed down um, or just imbalanced. So as an example, when somebody spends time in fight or flight, digestive function goes way, way, way down, including production of hydrochloric acid, digestive enzymes, bile, motility, the whole nine yards, which is how a lot of people with nervous system dysregulation end up with chronic digestive issues. Other things that happen, the immune system becomes imbalanced, especially with chronic stress. We see this imbalance between the Th1 arm of the immune system that's best at fighting bacteria and viruses and the Th2 arm of the immune system that's better at dealing with parasites but also causes allergies. And then we also see when somebody's been chronically stressed that they become more prone to things like autoimmunity and mast cell activation disorder and other immune disorders like that and less effective at fighting chronic infections. So lots and lots of people with chronic Lyme disease and chronic viral infections are actually getting well by doing nervous system regulation work, um, as opposed to through antimicrobials and direct immune support with supplements and things like that. So that's really cool, I think. But you're also going to see hormonal imbalances, and those are going to get worse the longer somebody is dysregulated. So when we talk about adrenal fatigue, You know, adrenal fatigue really happens after somebody has been dysregulated for an extended period of time. And when that happens, you know, initially when somebody gets dysregulated and they're spending a lot of time in fight or flight, you'll see cortisol be really high, right? And in those periods, people are usually very, very anxious. But when that has been going on long enough, you suddenly start to see the cortisol drop lower and lower and lower until eventually it's flatlined at the bottom of the graph on the chart when you're looking at a test result. That is what happens with chronic dysregulation is you get this miscommunication between brain and body, and then you don't get enough production of your stress hormones because the brain's basically like, you've been yelling at us to produce stress hormones for four years. We just can't do it anymore. Just stop the screaming. (laughs) And so, yeah, that's one of the things. But while somebody's body is so fixated on producing stress hormones, unfortunately, that usually leads to deficiencies in thyroid hormone production and conversion to active forms and progesterone deficiency in women, testosterone deficiency in men. Gotcha. So those are the physical manifestations and yeah, it makes a lot of sense in regards to yeah, the hormonal changes and everything along those lines. Now run us through why meditation, talk therapy, mindfulness practices might be a good approach. I'm ready to get your opinion on this. Yeah. So mindfulness meditation is a really great tool for calming down over arousal in the brain, right? It's really good for helping uh, our brains learn how to come down out of those high beta brainwave states when we're focused really hard and thinking really hard and a little bit stressed. Helps us come down out of those into more alpha states and others that are more calming and more conducive to being in that rest, digest, and heal state. However, Doing it that way is usually takes a long time for you to actually achieve consistent nervous system regulation. And there are a couple reasons for that. One big reason is because when we are doing neural retraining, the way that we are actually teaching the brain something new is we are actually opening the neural network that we're wanting to change. And then we're adding new data to it. When you're doing mindfulness meditation, you're not necessarily doing that. 
you know, in any given moment, you may just sit down and be thinking, you know, like maybe you'll have thoughts pop in about your to-do list or something like that. And that stresses you out a little bit. But usually, you know, you're not intentionally thinking about things that make you stressed or traumatized or whatever, all these, you know, things from your past. You're usually not going to be thinking about that intentionally while you're doing mindfulness meditation, which means that you can't change them. Because in order for anything to be edited in our networking in the brain, we have to be able to activate it. And so that is the first step to being able to make changes in the brain. The other reason why meditation is not the best tool for doing that is because once you've opened a neural network, the next step is to give that neural network the data for what you want it to produce for you in the future. Right. So let's say that neural network has been producing anxiety for you and you'd like it to produce calm instead. So while the neural network is activated, let's say, you know, you were just thinking about the thing that tends to make you anxious and you got anxious. You know, the neural network is active now. So now you can introduce data of calm and safety into that neural network. And each person, what works for them to feel calm and safe varies right and that is what's critical to this working so some people when they do mindfulness meditation they get really calm which would work just fine that would work great but a lot of people when they do mindfulness meditation don't get really calm at least not in the beginning right sometimes it takes people like a year or two years to get really really good at sinking in to that calm state with mindfulness meditation. So that's going to be a real uphill battle if you are trying to use that technique to actually retrain something in the brain. Gotcha. That makes a lot of sense. So essentially, we're so conditioned with these same neural patterns that keep resurfacing, they keep resurfacing, they're very habitual. We have told ourselves within our frame of reference that this serves me in some way, shape or form based on you know, this software that seems like it's from the original iPhone, yet we're living in an iPhone 15 world. And there's this big dysregularity <laughs> yes. between our reality and, you know, the way we actually function with it. And I want to ask you a question on that in just a moment. And then essentially what that does is it then creates these physical manifestations, puts us in the sympathetic nervous system, and then that just creates a plethora of problems as well. So that is making mm-hmm. sense to me as well. And it also makes sense that mindfulness and meditation might take a little bit too long. And for someone who's so far gone within that state of being, it might not be transformational enough or aggressive enough to even get them out of the state that they're stuck in. And it's interesting. Yes. And that brings me on to the question of what brought a lot of my healing personally. I put myself in the category of the person who needed this type of help before and I found hypnotherapy and that was my solution. Do you know a lot about hypnotherapy and do you think it shares similarities with a technique that we're going to discuss in just a moment in terms of rewiring the brain? You know, hypnotherapy is definitely not my specialty. However, in this path of learning neural retraining, I did learn some about hypnotherapy. I think one of the limitations that I was told was a was an issue for many people when they tried that route was that some people, the data suggests that some people are very, very hypnotizable, mm-hmm. right? They sink into deeper states of consciousness more easily um, than other people. And that if they're not very hypnotizable, it can be difficult to make those changes. So I think that's the difference, I think, is that these tools that we use for neural retraining really do seem to work for every brain. It's not that you don't need to kind of adapt them a little bit here and there to the person. There are ways to customize it for sure. But 
within the framework of neural retraining tools, they seem to really work well for everyone. That's the only thing I would say about that, but that's my very limited knowledge of hypnosis. Got you. Yeah, because I think they work on very much the same principles. So I'm going to learn a lot more about it in a moment when I ask you more of the questions. But a lot of it is kind of going back to the root, understanding where it comes from, kind of retextualizing and understanding the context in a different way and really going there and then creating a new pattern and reinforcing that pattern, reinforcing that pattern and basically breaking away the old pattern as well. And what I liked about it personally is if you sent me to traditional talk therapy, which I've done since, which I find helpful, but if you did that to me in the past, I, w I was a self-proclaimed closed book and people who know me now will laugh at that. But in the past, it was very normal and I wouldn't have opened up. And that's why something like that was really helpful to me. And now I'm interested and I have to ask you the question, Karen, how does one rewire their brain? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, like I was talking about before, we have these basic principles of how that works, right? Which is that you have to activate the neural network and then you have to introduce new data. And in the context of what I'm trying to rewire with people the majority of the time, it's usually about getting them back to feelings of calm and safety and groundedness with whatever the issue is, because I'm trying to regulate people's stress physiology so they're not always in fight, flight, or freeze, and they can heal. So for those scenarios, the data we're entering is always data of safety, and we're doing it repetitively, very quickly, right? Because we know the brain learns everything with repetition. Mm -hmm. So a lot of neural retraining systems out there will be like, well, do it an hour a day for a really long period of time. It doesn't have to be that slow you can do a whole bunch of repetitions in 10 minutes and make way more change than you would with one rep done in an hour. Gotcha. And so that's, that is the way that we do it. And it's really not about reframing the perspective on it so much, although that is usually a byproduct of what happens. That is more of a CBT technique, right? CBT and talk therapy are really more about let's look at the way you're thinking about this and how that may be fueling how you're feeling about this. And then let's deconstruct that and look at it from a different perspective. That's not what's happening here. What we're doing here is we're actually getting somebody to shift emotional and nervous system states while the neural network is active, right? So if they're, let's say, working on anxiety and I then get them to do something in that moment, where they feel incredibly calm and safe and happy, like maybe they go back to a great happy memory that made them feel that way, that feeling data, that nervous system state data is what you need to generate in order to reassociate whatever the trigger is in their brain to calm and safety instead of to anxiety. So that is a really fundamental difference between talk therapy and CBT and many of these other more cognitive sorts of um, techniques. This is not a cognitive-based technique. It is very much a feeling-based technique. And we, in that context, we also use safety data that comes from the body, too, or, and from our auditory system. So we use many different ways of sending signals of safety to the brain. So it could be really good feeling sensations, like you're giving yourself a, you know, a really nice self-massage, or you're dancing a little bit or something like that. Or it could be, you know, you're listening to your favorite song in your head. There are many ways to send a signal of safety, but we try to do it in the ways that work best for that individual person. 
And then as somebody does that, you do these rounds of like going into the thing that makes you anxious and then doing something that makes you feel safe and then going into the thing that makes you feel anxious and doing something that makes you feel safe. As somebody does that, usually they are going down the intensity scale somewhere between two and four points per round. So usually within just, you know, a few minutes, actually, somebody is all the way down at a zero. And that does not come back. So it's amazing. That's what what people see with their traumas is like even in the midst of a session, they'll be like, oh my gosh, like I was having this 10 out of 10 trauma reaction in my body and now nothing's happening even though I'm still trying to recall it and trying to bring it back up inside myself. That is the amazing thing. So that's kind of like the nuts and bolts of it. But to zoom out, what it really requires is somebody to ideally rewire a lot of the memories that have been really stressful, painful, or traumatic events for them because those are being used as references in the present for how they respond in life. And then there may be some belief systems related to those events that are also keeping somebody dysregulated. Let's say maybe as a kid they had an experience where dad was disapproving they got a B in math or something. And so, you know, the kid may then develop this belief system, oh, no, I'm not good enough or I'm unworthy or whatever, right? And that belief system can then continue to serve as, unfortunately, a template for their responses to life and their stress responses as part of that. So that's part of it. And then those memories and belief systems, I like to think of them as the roots of a tree, right? So the they are what cause the neural habits to begin in the first place. So this person who has the belief system they're not good enough probably has a habit of anxiety or depression, and that would be the trunk and the branches. And as somebody produces anxiety about not feeling good enough over and over and over again, that trunk and the branches get bigger and bigger and bigger. And that is a metaphor for the neural network, which gets bigger and bigger and bigger. So after addressing the roots of the tree, then somebody needs to break down those branches, which is the neural habit. And that is the part that takes a little bit of time. And you have to get some reps in in your daily life to do that, which is why we designed the Wired for Wellness program so that people could do that in the easiest way possible with guided processes and they don't have to try to self-generate you know, the, the practice every day. And then usually after somebody does that for a period of time, they just don't have to do it as much. You know, at this point, I probably do a neural retraining activity once a week. And so, and that's just for maintenance. You know, I'm trying to keep my own emotional baggage from piling up. And neural retraining is a phenomenal way to do that as well. So, yeah. Yeah. What I would like you to explain next, if I'm playing devil's advocate and trying to find any flaws in the argument, because if, if anything, that's just going to strengthen yours and lead us closer to the truth. I feel that in a way that maybe people might feel like they're not fully processing maybe some specific trauma that they went through. Let's say they had, I don't know, horrendous childhood abuse or something along those lines, and they identify, they know what that is. But what I'm understanding from this form of training is that you're attaching some form of safety in the present moment, you know, you're getting your nervous system to us in a place where you feel safe, you know, you're doing something that creates that sense of safety as well. But that doesn't go back and deal with the hurt, the shame, the guilt, the 
anger, the frustration, all the things that come around that, how do we navigate and process those things? Because I understand kind of putting, you know, again, changing the perspective in the sense of like, hey, I'm safe, my nervous system is in the best place possible, but I don't understand how all of those other things are dealt with that come along with trauma. Yeah, absolutely. So when we work on a trauma or somebody works on it by themselves, which can happen with we don't recommend it with the biggest traumas. We recommend that with things that dysregulate you up to about an eight. Like if you you would rate them eight out of 10 on a scale, we think you can do that okay. on your own. But above that, probably need a practitioner. But when we work on a trauma, we work on not only all of the sights and sounds and smells and sensations and emotions that were present at the time of the trauma. We rewire those, absolutely. But as part of that, because a person can't really separate very easily their emotional reactions that are coming from post-trauma versus the trauma emotions themselves. Usually Mm -hmm. when somebody reflects on a trauma, all of it comes up together. And so we actually use these same tools to help their brain release and replace all of the emotions that came after the trauma as well including, you know, the anger and the resentment and the whatever. And so when somebody's done rewiring a trauma, it's a beautiful thing. It's amazing. They will, and I can say this from personal experience, from my own traumas that I rewired, when I think about them now, I have like barely any images left. They're like very fuzzy and pixelated. I can't hear any of the sounds about what happened at that time. I can't feel any of the sensations I had in my body. And I certainly have no trauma or emotional reaction to whatever's left of that memory, which is very little. And so I also don't really have any of those feelings about it anymore that I developed after the trauma either. They're just nothing happens inside me. It's just like blank. And that is a really, really good thing when it comes to nervous system regulation. When I was able to rewire those traumas, whoo, my nervous system went down about 10 notches. Yeah, it makes sense. I guess if you get to the root of the situation, then that tends to take care of the symptoms and the manifestation of those roots as well. Yeah. And the other question I have is that a lot of people aren't able to identify their trauma. An interesting situation for myself personally is that I had very little childhood memories prior to hypnotherapy. I can barely remember mm-hmm. anything that happens, if I'm completely honest. And I assume that was some mechanism of my mind doing some protection stuff. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you asked me, I could give you maybe three and they were completely... <laughs> arbitrary in terms of what my childhood memories were but then on the other side of hypnotherapy it opened up a whole new world of memory that I didn't realize I had so how do people get to that trauma if they don't actually know where it originally came from because that was definitely my situation yeah so oftentimes the way that there's a couple different ways that we go about that one is it's very interesting like you said about hypnotherapy how it opened up a whole new world of memories for you This work usually does that too. So oftentimes what we recommend people start with is what they know, right? So they might not know, oh, I had sexual trauma as a kid, but they know they have some sexual dysfunction in their relationships now that they want to, you know, work on the emotional roots of that. So we just start with what they know and they may say, oh, I feel anxious when I'm intimate or I feel whatever, or I always have this one person come up into my mind who hurt me you know, that I was intimate with once, something like that. So we would work with the top layers. And as you work with and you rewire the top layers, oftentimes people's subconscious will then go, oh, 
you have tools to deal with this here's some more <laughs> <laughs> and then it will start to yeah, right. <laughs> exactly <laughs> it's like thank god now you can deal with this let me give this to you so then yeah it will usually pull up other memories and traumas but it will also pull up other positive memories so oftentimes we have people start doing this work and they're like all i am is one big ball of trauma like I just, I don't think about anything else. I don't feel anything oh, else. No. That's my life, you know? And for those people, they usually have a really hard time accessing memories when they didn't feel that way, memories when that were good. But when they start doing this work and peeling back some of the layers of trauma, then they usually start to have that stuff, the good stuff surface. And they're like, oh my gosh, I forgot about my dog back then. He was amazing. And, you know, and then all kinds of good things come up and that starts to help shift their brain too. The other way that we in Wired for Wellness help people with rewiring some of those deeper things that they may not have conscious access to um, is something that we call a feathering, which comes from Gary Flint's work. And it's basically a process in which I would speak directly to your subconscious using metaphors. So that is more similar to hypnosis, I think. But it's definitely not hypnosis. There's not like an induction or anything like that. But it speaks directly to the subconscious using metaphors, which the subconscious, that's what it speaks in, is metaphor, as you know. So that is a very interesting process, and we've seen it be able to shift things on a deeper level for people than we're able to get to with some of the tools using more conscious access. Gotcha. So starting at the very, very top layer, digging underneath, giving us some cues to try and tap into the things that our mind is protecting us from or is just burying very very deep and then accessing that way so that makes sense to me as well and i've got a question about reliving and going through that trauma again quite often when i talk to a lot of people they are like i just don't want to go back there i don't want to have mm -hmm. to deal with that and yes. i you know personally i know that you know you either deal with the root cause or you deal with it in your daily life on a small or big way anyway so you know my answer is always like you may as well because it's already impacting you but i'm curious to see what you say to the people who are like i just don't want to go back there i can't face reliving that again right i think that for many people they have done that many times and unfortunately it makes it worse right they re-traumatize themselves because Many people will inadvertently relive their traumas or they'll relive them in therapy, but they don't have the tools to actually change them. And so yeah. when you relive a trauma without the tools to change it, you actually make it worse. You make the neural network bigger and stronger, which means it's more likely to have an even bigger impact in your life today. So it's not a great idea actually to relive things when you don't have the tools. But if you do have them, then yes, it is best to just go deal with it very quickly and get out. And it's, you can, like, sometimes I will rewire eight traumas with somebody in one session. That's how quick it can be. So you don't really, with the techniques we use, you don't really spend a lot of time with your traumas and the feelings from them. It's like 10 seconds, moving on, doing the next, the next activity, which is going to be something that feels really good. So that's cool. I think it's very encouraging because you don't have to just wallow in a puddle of your trauma endlessly that that doesn't actually lead to change the other thing is if somebody has like a really big trauma that's like over a 10 for them and they would dissociate if they tried to go there or go into complete flooding you know where they're just like adrenaline is just taking over and they're checking out that we can prevent 
And so a lot of people are really worried about that because they may have been through that before. We have ways to prevent that. And basically what we do is we have somebody very gradually approach the trauma and rewire each layer as they get closer. And so by the time you actually get fully into the memory, you've already rewired so much that it doesn't feel like much anymore, right? Mm, it may have been yeah. a 12 before and now it's a five. And then you rewire the last little bit of it. And it's just not a big deal when you do it that way. So yeah, for hopefully sure. that's comforting to people. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's like it's almost like you're adding more tools to your tool belt. And then eventually when you go and tackle that bigger one, it's not that it's any smaller. It's just that you've now had experience that has raised up your ability to now navigate that. Whereas if you start with the, yeah, the biggest and scariest one to begin with, which I think some people encourage is because if you've got that other way of looking at it, if you handle the biggest and scariest one, everything else will be easy. But at the same time, if that intimidates you so much that you don't even get started, then the realistically practical perspective is to go in at the small ones and build your way up to the bigger one. So yeah, I can see that being practical and really helpful as well. And now I want to really understand like how quick can all of this work as well? You've mentioned that you can go through eight traumas in one session, which sounds... Very, very exciting indeed for many people, I'm sure. Yeah. But talk to me about how long this can last and then kind of what's the long-term maintenance of this. You mentioned once a week for yourself and I'm keen to get an understanding of how often you might want to do something like this. You know, the length of time that it takes to rewire, to get somebody to a place where they are in that rest, digest, and heal state the majority of the time depends on their starting point, right? So if somebody's starting with a lot more trauma, they've been way more dysregulated or been dysregulated a really long time or very sick, those people are, it's going to take a little bit longer. And usually in the neighborhood of, they're going to be wanting to work on it in neighborhood of a year. And so that means that usually you're going to have a few sessions up front where you're going to work on your big traumas and stuff that would be hard for you to work on on your own. And then you're going to do the programmatic thing where you do a daily practice in your life, you know, most days for about a year. And that's what's it's going to be required for most people with that starting point. If you are just starting out with a little bit of anxiety or you've only been anxious since this event three months ago or something like that, you're probably going to go a lot faster. Like as an example, we had this guy who joined the program like two months ago and he had just started having panic attacks and feeling really anxious and depressed in his life almost out of the blue. But it was after these kind of stressful events that had happened. And he, I thought it was going to be like, oh, we'll just rewire the stressful events and he'll be back to normal, which is how it would go normally. But he ended up working on it for six weeks and he got totally out of the anxiety, panic attacks, depression and trauma. But it took six weeks for him. And we found out afterwards why, because his testosterone is in the toilet. <laughs> and so, you know, that's for men typically going to cause a lot of mood dysregulation. So yeah, but he still got there even without having addressed his testosterone, which is pretty cool. But for people who like, let's say they just have a few big traumas that they want to rewire with the help of a practitioner, usually that's going to take somewhere in the neighborhood of one to three sessions. Okay. Sometimes I worked with a woman on a surgical trauma that she had, which was really big and had just happened. That took three sessions. But I've also worked with people where I've rewired eight uh, traumas for them in one session. So it varies a little bit person to person and trauma to trauma. But that's kind of a ballpark. Perfect. And I'm interested to get back to that guy with the 
low testosterone what do you do with someone after that situation because they might have been able to rewire all of this stuff and they feel amazing but because they've been chronically unwell for the last anywhere between one and let's say 50 years in maybe some cases then maybe 30 kilos overweight and yes they're in a much better position than they were before but they still are overweight and are experiencing the implications of that whether it's borderline diabetes whether it is diabetes or you know leading towards heart disease or anything along those lines same with someone you know whose testosterone is through the floor or any woman who's got hormone dysregulation as well where did they go next because i can feel like that you know they're finally like ah rid of all this trauma but now i have all these physical manifestations that i haven't dealt with for the past 30 years to now deal with yes absolutely it's interesting sometimes with certain issues People get all the way physically well, and they thought that they wouldn't be able to because they thought they would have to address it on a physical level. So that includes things like hormone imbalances, chronic infections, autoimmunity, chronic digestive issues, bladder issues, all kinds of stuff. Hypertension, of course, that resolves for a lot of people, headaches, migraines, chronic pain. However, sometimes it doesn't because sometimes there's another route, right? So what I see a lot being a doctor, is that there are three main routes. These are the biggest routes to most chronic health conditions. One is nervous system dysregulation, two is nutrient deficiencies, and three is toxins. And between those three, you can pretty much explain the root of almost everything. So usually if nervous system dysregulation work does not resolve the physical issues, they're usually dealing with one of those other two things. And probably a lot of secondary issues on top of that too, right? Things that the toxins caused, things that nutrient deficiencies caused, like hormone imbalances and immune dysfunction and things like that. So this person with the testosterone issue, his, after a little probing with him, I found out he really doesn't, he hasn't had a good diet for quite a while and is probably deficient in a number of nutrients like magnesium and zinc and vitamin D that are all needed to make testosterone. And so he's going about replenishing those nutrients now. So we definitely believe very strongly in addressing what's going on on a physical level as well, if you've got another route to the issue. But sometimes you don't know until you do this work whether there really is another route or not. But you can explore both at the same time, and we're not we're absolutely not against that. But it may not become clear until you really walk one of those paths, right, of taking the nutrients or doing the nervous system regulation work, and then you may go, oh, that's what worked. Okay, I guess it was that. But in the Wired for Wellness program, because I'm a naturopath as well, I have a whole side course, like bonus course, that's all naturopathic education. So it's like, oh, you know, if you have digestive issues, here are the tests that I would suggest you look into with your doctor or tests you can order for yourself. You know, here are the most common nutrient deficiencies. Here's the products I like for repleting those, all kinds of things like that. So if people are getting, you know, into the nervous system regulation work and they're like, oh, these certain things are not shifting, what else could it be? They can find some potential answers there to talk to their doctor about. Gotcha. That makes a lot of sense. And you mentioned at the very start of this conversation, the people and the most likely candidates for this type of work are those who are experiencing this type of nervous system dysregulation at a 50% to 100% level, essentially. Is there a place for people who are in a relatively good place? Maybe they've gone through 
their trauma and different situations, different ways and they've gone through different situations in their life who basically want to go from, I'm really good with where I'm at, but I want to be damn excellent. Maybe it's like, I know, public speaking challenges or trying to break through the next area or open up their business, for example. Is there room for those type of people who want to like break away and to go into the, you know, the higher echelon of the people of the world? Yes, 100%. Those kind of very specific issues that people want to work on to up-level themselves, the very same tools can be used to do that as are used to resolve trauma. You know, whenever you are hitting a a ceiling in your life in some way, there's always a reason for it. And it's, you know, it's usually an internal reason, right? So if we just go hunting for those particular uh, neurological links to that trigger, whether it's public speaking or something else, then you can rewire those those roots of the issue and then the habit until eventually you go, oh, no, public speaking is easy. I love it. And so, yes, you can do that. Our whole last module in Wired for Wellness is actually about how do you use neural retraining tools to create a life that you love? And so it's all about envisioning what you truly want for your life. How do you even figure that out, first of all, which some people are, have a block around. But once you have a vision of it, then you can work backwards and go, okay, so if this is where I am now, here's the next steps that I need to take. Oh, do I feel any resistance around those? Am I afraid of taking the next step? Do I not want to because it sounds hard? You know. And then when you have the resistance come up, you can actually rewire it. You can dissipate that resistance so your brain stops producing it, which of course then is like an obstacle-free lane to you going after it. Living your best life. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. A very, very complete package. Now, I like that as well. I like that it's not just focused on the past, but it's like looking forward to creating the life that you want as well. Karen, this has been a super interesting conversation. I have a couple of final questions for you. And the first is, what impact do you want to have on the world with the work that you do? Oh my gosh, that's, yeah, that's an exciting question. (laughs) I want to have a very big impact on the world, but, you know, I would say that really my biggest passion is helping people who are falling through the cracks of the medical system, whether it is the psychology side of it or the, the physical medicine side of it. On both sides, people are not getting the truly effective tools that they need to heal. And that's changing little by little, thank goodness. I'm just trying to be a part of that change. Um, So I hope to reach thousands of people around the world who are not finding what they need in order to heal and hopefully help them get there. Absolutely. And where is the best place for people to find you if they want to keep up with the work that you're doing or try out the Wide for Wellness program? Yeah. So my website is Dr karencuritan.com and my name is hard to spell so hopefully that is in the show notes <laughs> hey will be and then you can try out what neural retraining is like using our free program which is at getwiredforwellness.com backslash free and that program is really um, amazing there's like six days worth of content that's all free for you to just learn a little bit more about what neural retraining is, how it works, and then experience it. There are six free processes there for people to try. And then if you want to join the full Wired for Wellness program, that's at getwiredforwellness.com. Amazing. Karen, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. It's been a really insightful conversation. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. And that was the Simply Fit Podcast. I hope you gained a huge amount of value from today's episode. I feel inspired to improve your health and well-being. 
be sure to search for Simply Fit in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts from. And go ahead and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Also, if you like the episode, please don't forget to give it a five-star rating. I'd love to hear your feedback or any questions you have. So reach out to me on social media. You'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Elliot Hassoun. Thank you so much for listening. And I look forward to talking with you all on the next one.